Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. We're going to stay in the historical space. If you missed the last segment of the program, uh, we had the former uh, head of the Ministry of Antiquity for Egypt. Uh, just a fascinating uh, conversation that we had with Dr. Uh, Zahi Havas. And uh, he is here in the state of Utah today. Just extraordinary. You can go listen to his lecture for free tonight up at Kingsbury Hall. Uh, and so many of those important lessons from history. So we're going to stay on the focus on history and lessons to be learned. Of course, President Ronald Reagan, uh, often credited with ending the Cold War, many point to it as uh, his uh, greatest achievement. The bigger question, how did he... Make that all happen. What was his role in all of that? How was he different from the presidents that had come before him when it came to foreign relations and that kind of interactions? And as I said, what are the lessons that we can learn from that? And how do we apply that to current foreign policy challenges? Uh, William Inboden is the executive director of the Clements Center for National Security. And he's an associate professor of public policy and history at the LBJ School of Public Affairs, both at the University of Texas at Austin. Uh, he's also the author, this is the important part, of The Peacemaker, Ronald Reagan, The Cold War, and The World on the Brink. And uh, he joins us live on the line now. William, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Boyd. It's great to be with you. Uh, great to have you back. And and uh, as you look at this whole idea of President Reagan as the peacemaker, uh, first give us kind of the origin story of that. How did that come about in your research and study? Sure. Um, I guess my summary is uh, good presidents manage the challenges that they inherit, and great presidents uh, envision a better world and work to transform it and bring it about. And that was really the, the key to President Reagan's vision for the Cold War, is he, he wanted to end it, and he wanted to end it peacefully, hence the title The Peacemaker, but he wanted to end it peacefully on terms favorable to, to the United States, and of course with the defeat of the Soviet Union. And that was a very, very difficult uh, balance and you know set of uh, challenges to, to bring about. Um, and you know many of experts at the time, even some within his own government, uh, doubted that this was possible. You know every previous president had just tried to manage our relations with the Soviet Union and saw the Soviets as a you know permanent fixture on the geopolitical landscape. That you know they weren't going anywhere, and we just needed to contain and manage them. And President Reagan envisioned actually the possibility of uh, defeating Soviet communism. But, do it, but doing it peacefully. So it's, it's a really, it's a remarkable story, all the more so uh, in the light of history. Yeah, and I, and I love that component in terms of the principle that so many presidents, uh, and it's always interesting because so many presidents think they're going to come into office, they're going to focus just on domestic issues, and then they mm -hmm. soon realize the uh, United States' role in the world. 
and that's not possible. But so many have abdicated that leadership and kind of managed, as you said, managed what was going on in the world as opposed to envisioning something different and then working on those transformational policies. Uh, and so take us under the, the hood and under the uh, the headline of all of that in terms of what were some of those key components that enabled Reagan to not just handle all the things going on in the world at the time, but to actually envision, uh, have a transformational vision of what could be and then how he made that possible. Sure thing. And, you know, some parts of the story and his policies are fairly well known. For example, his belief in peace through strength and his um, military modernization and expansion of uh, of our defense budget. But uh, two other themes I want to highlight, which I think are less appreciated about President Reagan's foreign policy, but really key to this transformation. Uh, the first was his commitment to, to values. Uh, he really wanted to put the United States on the side of freedom, democracy, human rights, uh, religious freedom in particular. And this is why he did so much to advocate for uh, religious dissidents, political dissidents behind the Iron Curtain inside the Soviet Union. He made very clear that he saw Soviet communism as the adversary, but not the Russian people or not, you know, or not the Polish people or the East German people, you know, the different peoples laboring under these oppressive communist systems. And so he did everything he could to, to highlight the, the plight of the people suffering under communism, to support uh, Jewish and Christian uh, dissidents uh, who just wanted to you know, practice their faith peacefully or wanted to have you know, freedom of speech to criticize their governments and we've been being put in the gulag. And, and the way he put values at the center of American foreign policy um, really highlighted the illegitimacy of Soviet communism and uh, let these people know that America was their, was their friend. Um, the second theme is allies. Reagan was so committed to America's allies, even though they could be annoying and, and didn't always do their part and they had policy differences, he saw our allies as a great source of American strength. He knew that we are a unique country in the world, have you know, so many other countries that were voluntarily pledged to, to, to stand with us. Uh, you know, Japan, West Germany, the United Kingdom, Canada, Australia, so many others I, I, I could mention. Um, and our allies terrified the Soviets. The Soviets knew they didn't have any real allies. Instead, they had the you know, kind of the coerced vassal states of the Warsaw Pact. And so that was allies were also one of Reagan's secret weapons, if you will. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, so important. And uh, I love that your book is based on a lot of uh, documents that have just become uh, declassified, that have just become public. So I love that fresh take in all of that. One of the things I've been uh, dying to ask you about uh, in your book uh, is you talked about Reagan's ability to manage uh, and handle and deal with all of those allies. One of the other things he often had to do 
was really navigate his own staff and those around him who were often at odds in terms of what policy they should pursue. Yeah, he really did. And this was, you know, for all of Reagan's strategic vision and greatness as a president, and as you know, my book is a very positive portrayal overall, he wasn't perfect. And one of his liabilities was he wasn't a very good manager. He was uh, averse to personal conflict. He he was uncomfortable when his staff were, were feuding with each other. And so he had a very capable team of you know, smart, experienced, uh, hard-charging staff with strong convictions. And they all loved Reagan, and they loved working for him, but they didn't like each other very often. And uh, and so that was an extra challenge for him when the staff were you know, feuding and leaking and, and, and backbiting. But um, on the really big, uh, big issues that mattered most, especially, of course, relations with the Soviet Union, he was able to pull everyone together and say, all right, I'm the president, I'm in charge, here's, here's what we're going to do, even if uh, some of you may not like it. But um, uh, you know the the staff acrimony was a was a real challenge and liability for the administration. Uh, no question, and his ability to navigate that I think is again one of those underappreciated components to Ronald Reagan's leadership. One of the other things that you point out uh, in your book is that Reagan really understood that he didn't have to seek appeasement, and he didn't have to seek war. With the Soviets, that there was uh, that those things could uh, were not mutually exclusive. That they actually could be compatible uh, in terms of actually getting to a better solution in the process. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. I mean, he was very committed to keeping the Cold War cold. You know, he did not want it to turn high. He did not want uh, to destroy our countries and, and the entire world in a in a dreadful nuclear exchange. And he was. You know, terrified of nuclear weapons and wanted to reduce and even eliminate them. But he also saw the Soviet Union as the biggest obstacle to peace. And that's why one of the keys to his success is integrating force and diplomacy, uh, using our military buildup, our military might, not to start a war necessarily, but rather to deter the Soviets from starting a war, and then to bring them to the bargaining table and to pursue a, a negotiated surrender, as my, as my book argues. He was very committed to negotiations and diplomacy with the Soviets. He just wanted to, do, to negotiate from a position of strength so that they would almost have you know, no other choice but to uh, reduce reduce their arms and come to terms uh, on uh, at the negotiating table uh, and come to terms favorable to the United States. So it's a remarkably deft balancing act that, that he did. Yeah, and I think that's <clears throat> I think that's so important. And I, I love the fact that you uh, don't hold back. You do criticize the president uh, when he needed to be criticized. So this is not just a, a Pollyanna uh, glasses rose colored and half full and all of those things. Uh, but this is a, a real look at uh, what actually took place and. And Reagan's unique ability to to navigate it all, uh, and I do think that's one of the extraordinary things uh, in this whole story, is, is that the president could navigate all of that uh, and lead to an end that he envisioned. That it wasn't just the status quo, uh, it wasn't just managing our way through, but he envisioned something vastly different than what anybody had been thinking about. Uh, who was kind of going the either all out war or the all out cold. Uh, in terms of just maintaining the status quo, this was a different approach to it all. Yeah, it really was. And, uh, you know, the pressures on him were almost un- unfathomable, right? I mean, he quite literally held the fate of the world in his hands and knew that, you know, one misstep or one one bad choice or one miscommunication, you know, could mean, you know, the end of humanity as we know it in, in a nuclear exchange. And I think that, as you know from the book, I think the real key to all this was his, his Christian faith. You know, mm-hmm. he had a tremendous trust in God. He was a man of prayer, even though he you know, wasn't a regular churchgoer. Reading his diaries and letters, it comes out that... um. 
uh, you know, the the secret source of uh, his ability to withstand these pressures, to have faith in a better world, was, of course, his, his faith in God. And ultimately, a sense of the presidency is just a stewardship, and he was entrusted mm-hmm. with that, uh, but ultimately was, was serving, a, serving a higher power. Yeah, that stewardship principle is uh, one we often talk about, so important. Uh, and and I do think it was interesting too, and you point this out very uh, definitely in the book, and that is the 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 fact that Reagan wasn't just out about a military or an economic battle; uh, it was a battle of ideas and belief and faith, uh, and all of those things that are wrapped up in the American experience. Yeah, he really believed in American exceptionalism. Uh, you know, I know that's a term that's become kind of controversial and a little distorted these days, but um, uh, he was very confident in American values and the American system, but not in a way that would make it exclusive. I mean, he wanted to you know, share those values with the rest of the world. He wanted to promote the free world. This is why he was supportive of bringing uh, victims of uh, communist persecution to the United States as refugees, for example. I and mean, he, um, you know, he was committed to border security, but as a matter of larger principle, he wanted us to be a welcoming society. He said, look, if we're going to have walls, we also want to have doors as well that are open to many with a desire for freedom and a, and a better life. And that was a tremendous model to the to the rest of the world. And I think a secret to highlighting the difference between Soviet tyranny and American freedom. Yeah, great stuff. And uh, as we always say on this show, it, you can talk about politics so that you can get to principles and the people who live them. Uh, and this book is just that. It's called The Peacemaker, Ronald Reagan, The Cold War, and the World on the Brink. William Inboden uh, is the executive director of the Clements Center for National Security and associate professor of public policy and history at the LBJ School of Public Affairs at the University of Texas at Austin. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. This is a great read, everybody. You should check this one out. Add it to your list uh, because it is one very rich in uh, principles, uh, in some fascinating politics, uh, and some policies that ultimately end up shaping the world that we live in today. William, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Boyd. It's been a real pleasure. All right, we'll go ahead and step aside for one last quick commercial break. When we come back, some final thoughts. Stick around. We'll be right back. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent. It was senseless. And I will never understand it. I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.